so uh, the so we so you're all on the same page when it comes to that common compassion. I believe we have hit our goal and exceeded it. So good job. Uh, the goal was five hundred thousand dollars. I think they're close to six, and there's still another few hours left to go. So it's not too late to jump in on that uh, as we uh, all help out with Aurora Commons and what they're doing to help uh, the homeless situation up and down Aurora and in the city of Seattle. Another something to let you in on, if you are, let's do the email question. How many of you get the emails? Okay, I sent one this week. Did y'all get it? Okay. Uh, Starting June 15th, according to Bethany policy, Bethany Community Church policy, I will be going on a sabbatical. It's only eight weeks. Woohoo! That's what I said. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to get rid of me. Yeah. Uh, It's... It's for eight weeks. Uh, it'll be from June 15th to around August 15th. Uh, during that time, Pastor Jen will be uh, manning the ship, as we call it. We have uh, speakers coming in, various Bethany teachers will be coming in, cycling in and out. I'm excited for you to hear uh, some of them, uh, most all of them. I should rephrase that. I'm excited for you to hear all of them. Uh, some of them you know, some of them you'll be introduced to, uh, but it'll be, it'll be a great time. The summer's going to be awesome. Uh, and then I'll be back in mid-August, and then we'll hit the ground running and go from there, okay? If there's any questions, I don't care. <laughs> no, if there's any questions, uh, uh, talk to me after service, send me an email, reply to the email I sent, all that. It'll be good. It'll be a great time. Uh, our plans include going to California to uh, hopefully get uh, tickets to watch the U.S. Open of golf. I love golf. I love watching golf. I love playing golf. And the U.S. Open is in San Diego. I used to live in San Diego. And so we're going to go hopefully check it out if we can get some tickets, if they allow people, enough people in. Uh, we'll do that. And we're going to head to Texas to see my brother. And then we'll be back up in the area doing a bunch of other stuff. But everything's going to be great. You guys are going to have a great time. Uh, and uh, we'll see you back in August. But there's a couple weeks left before we go. But thought we'd give you a little heads up, okay? Same page? All right. Okay. Let's all take a drink of coffee. We're going to need it. Today is a big day when it comes to the church. How many of you know why? It is Pentecost. Do we know what Pentecost is? 50, Penta 50, 50th day after Passover. Passover, uh, it, it would be around, well, Passover is Easter. Uh, today is the 50th day after Easter. It's Pentecost. Today's a big day in the church calendar, and it's not just for Pentecostal people uh, or the Pentecostal denomination. Those, some of those, uh, we're, we're, we're a little afraid. Some of us are afraid of Pentecostal people. You don't need to be afraid of Pentecostal people. They're great folks. Uh, but today is not just a day for them. It's also a day for us. Uh, all of us, whether we realize it or not, are Pentecostals. Did you know that? You are a Pentecostal. Why? Because the church began the day of Pentecost. Our birthday of the church is today. So look around you and say, happy birthday, church. This is your birthday. Whether we realize it or not, we're Pentecostal. The roots of the church go all the way back to Acts chapter 2 and the story that Luke tells of the first day of Pentecost. It goes a little bit like this. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He rose again three days later. Then for 40 days, Jesus walked around And saw a bunch of people, made himself appearance. He made breakfast for the disciples on the beach with fish, which is a weird breakfast, but whatever, they went with trout. Uh, After 40 days, 
excuse me, Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave these instructions to the disciples. Go back to the upper room where we just hung out for a while and I want you to wait. Wait there for the helper that Jesus had promised earlier. Jesus had given the, a promise saying, I'm going to send an advocate your way. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Go back and wait for them. And so in Acts, when you open up Acts 1, it's the continuation of Luke. It's all, it should have called it Luke 2. But then as you open up Acts 1, you see the disciples are doing just that. They're waiting in the upper room. So there they were, all gathered, wondering a lot of what you and I wonder a lot, what's going to happen next? What are we going to do after this? They didn't know what anything was going to look like. They didn't know what anything was going to sound like. They didn't know what this helper was. All they knew is that it was coming. And for those seven to ten days when they were in the upper room, they just hid, really, because they were waiting for whatever Jesus was to come. Meanwhile, if you were to step out of the upper room in Israel, was a festival happening. 50 days after Passover is the festival of Shavuot, which means the festival of weeks. It's to be held 50 days after the Passover, and it's a way for them to uh, give thanks to God for the harvest that they just went through and the sacrifices of their first fruits. And in that, they would thank God for the events that happened in Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, if you remember, is back in the book of Exodus. When they exited Egypt on that very first Passover, 50 days later, they were standing on at the foot of Mount Sinai and they were receiving the law from God. God was telling them what they're going to do next. Okay, so Luke is telling the story of the disciples in the upper room all gathered around waiting together. Meanwhile, at the same time, People outside of the upper room are all gathering to come to the temple to remember and sacrifice Sinai, or in remembrance of Sinai, the time where God commanded his very own people of Israel that they were going to be the flesh and blood of him to the world. Sinai was about the world returning to God. It was also, again, we're going to pound this one into the ground, 50 days after Passover, there's this teaching that goes on in, in Jewish teaching. You can read about it in, in a book by Abraham Heschel. There's a rabbi. He talks a lot about the rab- what the rabbis would have taught and what the Talmud would have taught. There's a teaching that goes along with the events of Sinai that says this, that at Sinai, every single living creature on earth was silent because they were listening to the voice of God. They were wondering what God was going to say to his creation. Not even a bird chirped, they say. Because God was inviting humans back into relationship with him. The rabbis taught that when God was speaking on top of Sinai with the thunder and lightning and everything that happens in Exodus 17, what was happening was tongues of fire, they taught, were going all throughout the, all throughout the world, all throughout the nations, so everybody could hear his divine voice in a language that they could understand. This is what they taught was going on on Sinai. So Luke, again, telling us a story about how the disciples were gathered in a room in Jerusalem waiting for God to show them something, waiting for God to give them a vision of what's going on next. At the same time, people are gathering, remembering what happened on Sinai. Again, Passover, Luke 2, picks up here, 50 days after Passover. Acts, 
2, verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and the whole house where they were sitting, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Celebrate what happened on Sinai. When they heard a sound, a crowd came together, and in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? That's a nice way of saying, these, these guys aren't too smart. How are they doing this? Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? This, what Luke is trying to paint for us, is Sinai happening all over again. Except the difference here is that God wasn't taking up uh, residence on a mountain or in a tent or in a temple. He was taking up residence in every person within earshot in their hearts. God was taking up residence inside of them. This is different. This is better than Sinai. Everyone who heard God's voice, not just the ones in the upper room, but everyone from all across the known world heard God's voice. Look look closely who Luke mentions. The Parthians, the Medes, the Amalekites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus of Asia, that one, Pamphylia, Egypt, remember Egypt, the place where they were enslaved? People from Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues, in their own languages, amazed and they they were perplexed and they wondered, what does this mean? And then the best line in the entire chapter is this. And some of them, however, made fun of them and said, nah, they've got to be drunk. They've had too much wine. And the old joke, Peter says, no, but it's five o'clock somewhere. So the disciples are in the upper room that day. They're amazed and they're overwhelmed at this new reality that has hit them. Everyone, everywhere can understand this new thing that God is doing. The Holy Spirit that day awakened the hearts and opened the eyes of the people to bring a new reality that was coming through Jesus. In the same way that this happened back on that day in Acts 2 in that upper room, the Holy Spirit awakened the eyes of the people way back at Sinai and those people in Jerusalem The same Holy Spirit is trying to awaken our hearts and our eyes in order for us to be fully present and aware for the way God is moving in our lives. Did you catch that? That same Spirit is working today, right now. It wants to wake you up like an alarm clock and say, look, I want to do something with you. I want to work with you. I want to work in you. I want to use you. Wake up to what I'm doing. Can you see what I'm doing? However, here's the problem. The Holy Spirit is working around us. You and I get distracted to the point where you and I can't recognize what the Spirit is doing. 
something shines in our eyes and we go, ooh, squirrel, look, and then we're distracted and then our eyes are someplace else and we go off in a different direction and then we're tired and discouraged because we miss something that God might have been trying to tell us. The distractions that we face today are many. And that's the whole point of the enemy's tactics. The whole point of Satan's tactics is to get you to take your eyes off of God. It's Peter walking on the water and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and sinks. That's the whole enemy's tactics. Look somewhere else. Miss what God is doing. And those distractions blind us to the work that God is trying to do. And so today, I want to take some time. We're kicking off this new series, Be My Vision, Be Thou My Vision. I want us to look at two of the distractions, and there's many distractions. Today, we're going to look at two big ones that have come up in the recent couple weeks. I want us to look at those, and then I want to look at what we can do to regain our focus, okay? The first distraction that you and I deal with is this distraction of nostalgia, We all love nostalgia. We love the way things used to be. We like to romanticize on how things used to be back then, right? Because the way things were are usually better than the way things are. And if I could just get back to the way things were, it'll be a lot easier. Even if the way things were, were not that great. We romanticize them. We think, we think it's great. And then we get caught in the nostalgia trap. And then you and I get paralyzed. And then we start waiting or looking or trying to recreate something that's never going to happen again. Where We see this in friendships. We see this in relationships. We're like, why can't we get back to the way it was when we first started dating? Well, we've been married 12 years. Things have changed. Okay, You have changed. Your friends have changed. Your partners changed. Your relationship has grown. It's not going to be the way it was. And what it is instead is the way it is now. You're two different people. Your friendships are different. You are different. You can't always go back trying to recreate something that was because then you'll miss what is now. Make sense? Okay, this happened in the book of of 1 Kings. Uh, How many of you have been in 1 Kings lately? It's rad. You should. It is one of the most exciting books. Trust me. There's 1 Kings 18. There's this man named Elijah. He is, he is the prophet of Israel. He's the main one that's left. Seven years prior to this, he had told King Ahab, hey, guess what? Because you're worshiping Baal, because you have the Asherah poles, because you have built things in the high places, it's not going to rain until I say so. And when he says so, it means God says so. And so it's been a long time. Elijah goes into hiding. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are trying to kill him. I don't know why they wanted to kill him because it doesn't rain until he says. And if you kill him, he's never going to say it rains. So Elijah wanted to make it rain. Okay. (coughs) You'll get that one later. Uh, But so Elijah is hiding out. Elijah comes in. He contacts his friend Obadiah and says, hey, get Ahab. And then bring all, not, not just one, all of the priests of Baal, meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown. And so Elijah does this. There's over 300 priests of Baal, and he gives them a rule. He says, take a bull, like, you were to, like you're going to make the sacrifice. Build yourself your altar to Baal. Put the bull on there, but don't light it. You're going to call on your god, Baal, 
and make sure Baal lights it. We're going to see whose God is real today in Jerusalem. And so they do this. And for hours, the prophets of Baal are dancing around. That song that Dylan played today kind of references it. They're dancing around, asking their God to light this sacrifice. And Elijah's sitting back and drinking his lemonade, going, what's going on? He starts trash talking, right? Because that's what you should do. And he's trash talking and he says, maybe your God's busy. Uh, The translation is seriously... Maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's indisposed and he can't light this right now. And so it goes on for hours all morning. And then evening comes and it says it was time for the evening sacrifices. And here's Elijah just chilling in his lawn chair watching him. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought. That's the bathroom part. Maybe he's sleeping and has to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. And there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah steps up. It's his turn. He repaired the altar, and as he's repairing it, I get this idea of this old man just grunting and everything. He's putting 12 stones, and the text says, as he's putting the 12 stones, he's naming the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he says, your name shall be Israel, as he's making this. And so he's telling Israel's story of who they are. And then he says, dig a trench around it, enough that you can put 28 pounds of grain in it. Dig it that deep, and then fill it with water. And then they fill it with water, and he goes... More water. They do it three times. And the thing is soaked. I imagine the whole water is coming down the top of the altar. And then he says this in 1 Kings 18.37. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. Then fire from the Lord burned up the sacrifices, the wood, the stone, the soil, and licked up all of the water in the trench. And then if you go on later, I don't think there are children here. Okay, good. They go through and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Elijah won that day. How would you do here? Would you be like, yes, we won. This would be the top of Elijah's story, right? God won. I'm the prophet in Israel. My God won. All the other prophets are done with. My God wins. However, this isn't what happened. Turn the page to the next chapter in Kings, and Elijah's running away. He's running to Horeb. He's going back to Sinai. He climbs up there, and he is depressed. Why? Because it hasn't started raining yet. He wants God to always act in the way that he acted on top of Carmel, in fire and lightning. And God is trying to say, I, I don't always work that way. Rain came. It came. It, it came a lot. The rain comes. But Elijah was wishing that God would always speak in the loud, booming voice that happened on Carmel. Elijah ends up depressed. He's in a cave. And he says, uh, he says Elijah uh, says, I want to see you, God. In, Exit, in 1 Kings 19, 13. And then what happens is God puts Elijah in a rock and then an earthquake happens and then a fire happens and then a mighty wind happens. And Elijah says in every one of those things, God was not present. And then finally, 
there was a whisper. A whisper. And Elijah pulls his cloak over his face and says, and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. God isn't always trying to move in ways in which we want him to move. Sometimes he's not shouting at us. Most of the times he doesn't shout. Oftentimes he whispers. But what happens to us is we had an experience with God and we say God always has to work in this way, in this place, in this, in this fashion. And God reserves the right to say don't get stuck in your nostalgia here. I'll work on this way too. I'll work with the whisper. I don't always do the way or communicate in the way you're expecting me to communicate. He doesn't always communicate with fire from heaven. He doesn't always move in earthquakes and wind. Sometimes it's a whisper. And when we're constantly looking back at the nostalgia of what happened back then, we'll miss God's whisper to us now. Isaiah says it this way. This is what the Lord, the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army, the reinforcements together, and they, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And here it is. See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm up to something different. Do you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. God is doing something new. We can't always look back and say, God, do that again. God wants to do something new. God wants to do something new in you. But if you're stuck looking for the way it was, you're going to miss it. Here's how it might also play out today. We want church to go back to normal, right? We all want church to go back to normal. We want life to go back to normal. We don't, have, we don't want to worry about COVID. We don't want to worry about people getting within six feet of us. We don't want to worry about the things happening in our city. We, want to, we don't want to think about this. We want to go back to being, whether it's blissfully ignorant or just the way it, things were. We want to go back. Let me tell you something, though. Normal was so 2019. Things have changed. Church has changed. How we do community has changed. How we learn has changed. And how it's changed, whether it's a vaccine or whatever, things are never going to be the way things were. Not here, not at home, not at work. But if we're sitting around trying to think, I can't wait for things to go back to normal, that's nostalgia. And what you are missing is life today. We're faced with a choice. Sit back and wish and try and manifest the past and the present or open your minds and hearts to see what God is doing new among you through different times, through different circumstances. It doesn't matter what's happening outside. God is still moving. Lives are still changing. And if you're on the sideline trying to figure out how things are going to be normal again, you're going to stay on the sideline and you're going to miss it. Don't miss it. Open your eyes. See what God is trying to do. Don't fall for the trap of the former things. Don't dwell in the past. God is doing something new. Pay attention. Don't be distracted. 
Don't miss the present, wishing for the past. The next distraction is a big one. It's this distraction of imposters. You know them. They look really great. They sound great. They smell good. They're very appetizing. And when you get to know them, when you get up close, you realize they're nothing like the real thing. Carrie has done this to me. My wife's name is Carrie. She has done this to me. She tells me, I'm outside with the boys playing, and she says, I'm making pizza for dinner. And I go, yes, she's making pizza. That means she's made dough or bought dough, whatever it is. And then she puts, she makes a great pizza. We have a pizza stone, and it's wonderful. It's cheesy. It's pepperoni. It's got basil and garlic. I love it. The boys love it, and it's going to be a good night. Then we sit down, and we start eating, and I take one bite. I'm hungry. I want cheesy pepperoni pizza. I'm excited. It's cauliflower. <laughs> Does anybody like cauliflower crust? Oh, one. <laughs> Carrie, yeah. <clears throat> you and Madeline can have pizza together. It's pretend pizza. It's like the impossible meat. We do a lot of work to make those things look like the real deal, but they're not. It's an imposter. And I don't mention anything because I'm, I'm smart like this. I know if I go, this isn't real pizza, my oldest, who's five, will catch on. This isn't real pizza? What? I want real pizza. And then it's everything breaks loose. And so I keep it quiet. I'm stuck with broken taste buds pretending that this is pizza. <laughs> Imposter pizza tastes nothing like the real thing. In 2 Timothy, Paul is warning Timothy about some dangers that are coming to him in the city of Ephesus when it comes to his church. He tells them, he tells them to be on guard. He knows that there's a bunch of people who are good at acting like Christians. They have the words, they have the, uh, the look, but they're really not Christians. They're play, great at playing the game, but they're missing it. They're pretending so Paul says, we'll say things like this. Timothy, this is in 1 Timothy 2.8. Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descendant of David. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus raised from the dead so you and I can have a relationship with him. That's the good news. And, Tim, and Paul's saying, Timothy, don't get distracted or sidetracked or let anything else invade that truth. Now, this is Paul, who in Colossians will go on to say all truth, wherever it's found, is God's truth. So Paul is very aware that there's other truths outside of what he just said. That's Paul. So keep that in mind. In fact, sometimes, and then Paul goes on and says, look, some things will look godly. They're not. So Paul, who can find truth anywhere, is also able to say there's not truth right there. So he draws a line. Some things are good, some things aren't. He warns them, and he starts warning Timothy about false teachers. And here's what he said. But mark this, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's a big one. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. That doesn't sound like a good person, right? Timothy, watch out for these people. And then watch this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. They'll look good. They'll say good. They'll act good. They have the form of godliness, 
but they are denying the very God which brings the power. And what's Paul say to him? Paul, who can find truth in everything, what's Paul say? Have nothing to do with those people. Don't let them infiltrate the gospel. They're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. They'll say the right things. They'll be persuasive. They'll be relevant. They'll be sensitive. They'll look good. They'll look the part. But in reality, they have nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. They are imposters. They are cauliflower pizza. They are without love. They are unforgiving, unholy, ungrateful. And those parents in the room, they don't obey their parents. In an effort, this is worrisome because in today's world, we have a lot of imposters running around. And it worries me, at least. These imposters are somehow weave their way into the church. We've let them in. They sound good. We've put our guard down. They sound good. Instead of having nothing to do with them, many have embraced it. We've embraced many of them. In an effort to deal with a lot of the ills that happen in the world, especially the sin of racism, churches are running to things like critical race theory. That looks good. It looks great. But it's an imposter. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It says that it is out for justice and unity, but as you scratch the surface and look at it, it doesn't. It looks good. It looks wonderful. It is creating division, siding people against each other, and it will destroy the church because it's an imposter. It categorizes people based on something they can't control and says you're against them no matter what, and you can't get out of it. It seeks to dismantle the very gospel that Paul told Timothy and in turn tells us to guard. It sounds good. It feels good. It seems like we should try it. It seems like it'll be okay. It's an imposter because of the justice it's trying to perceive has nothing to do with the justice that Paul talks about. It seeks to divide and it doesn't work. If critical race theory is over here and it calls everything racist, as one person said in a, a video I watched, everything is racist, like the Lego song. Everything is racist, says one, the critical race theory. The other side is equally just as bad. It says there is no such thing as racism. It says that it's nowhere to be found, that everybody over there is wacky. This is just as misleading as that. Because sadly, very sadly, it breaks the heart of God, breaks the heart of Jesus. There is racism in the church and it needs to be repented from, it needs to be walked away from. It needs to be dealt with, it is a sin. This side that denies it and this side that says it's everywhere are on opposite ends. And what Paul calls us to is something different. He doesn't call us to deny it. He doesn't say to call everybody who doesn't even think about it racist. What he does say is, is he says, look at the cross. You can't look to theories of denial. You can't look to theories of saying it's everywhere. Paul addresses racism over and over and over again. If you think people weren't racist in Paul's day, read it again. Racism everywhere. And what's Paul do? 
Paul says this, in Christ, you are all children of God. What's that mean? We're all part of the same family. In Christ, not in a theory, not in denial, in Christ, you are all children of God. For you have been baptized into Christ. You have closed yourself with what? Not a theory, not denial, Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, which was the biggest race division you will ever come across. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, which is another way of dividing people in Paul's day. There is neither male or female, which is another way of dividing people in Paul's day. Paul's not saying there's no gender. Paul's saying the way we say dividing people between male and female, don't do it. The way you divide people on race, don't do it. The way you divide people on what they believe, don't do it. For you are all what? You are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, which means we go all go back to the same source. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. I am one of them. So are you. Let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Let's go. This is where it goes back to. If you belong to Christ, you are part of Abraham and you are heirs to the throne. The truth is not found in denial. The truth is not found in critical theories. To quote one, one theologian uh, in, in his book called Fault Lines, if you haven't read it, I, I don't recommend books a lot, but this one's required. He says this, there can be no reconciliation about justice. And he agrees with that. He wants to scream, yes, the death of Christ is that justice. All other justice is proximate and insufficient. It is because of Christ's work on the cross that we can heed the apostles' admonition. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with it every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving, enough, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. Why? Because only in Christ will there ever be true peace. He says this in Ephesians, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew, Gentile, two ethnicities, made them one and has destroyed the barrier of dividing wall of hostility, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He was the pur- his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, just making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Paul continues. And he keeps going and says, watch this. And in him, you too are being built together to become what? A dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. The same spirit that spoke on Sinai. The same spirit that spoke in Acts 2 in that room. The same spirit is wanting to be a dwelling place for you. The, what, what prevents that is you and I falling for the imposters that get our eyes off of the work that God wants to do in each one of us. Don't fall for the trap which seeks to divide the house of the Lord. It'll carry you further and further away from the gospel of Christ. Paul's warning to Timothy rings true today. Don't fall for the trap. Don't wish that things were the way they were. Don't fall for the imposters' smooth talking. So how do you avoid them? How do we then focus? How do we wake up to the reality that the Spirit of God is active and working with us today? The question is always this. How do I hear God? 
question back to you. Have you listened? Have you put yourself in a posture where you can hear the voice of God? It seems elementary. It seems, it seems too basic. But guess what? The basic things are usually the right things. Have we read this lately? Bible. You want to hear the voice of God? Here are 66 books written over 1,500 years by 30-something authors, all telling us what God is up to. It is relevant to today. You want to hear the voice of God? Set apart some time in your busy day. 20 minutes. Read your Bible. What's God saying to you? It's right here. Do you need a reading plan? Here's one that I use. I, I get up in the morning. My plan is this. I go, I go down to our basement. We have a wood pellet stove. I turn it on so it's warm and it gives the, it, I'm not listening to traffic go by. I open the Bible. I read four chapters. That's it. Read four chapters. And then here's the key, because it's easy for us to read the Bible and go, okay, that's done. Now, here's what comes next. You want to hear the voice of God? Read your chapters. Spend some time in the Word. And then shut your Bible and listen. Prayer. Not just, dear Lord, help me with the day. Amen. No, 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 no. That's great. It's a start. Pray. When you pray, you invite God to speak into your life and you can tell Jesus what's going on in your world, what's going on in your life. And there's an element that I'd like you to try though. I'd like you to try and pray. Say your peace to God. Bring your praises to him. Talk to Jesus like he's in the room. And then, like a good friend does, shut your mouth and see if Jesus wants to say anything back to you. It might be weird at first, sitting in a silent room, listening. But remember the whisper Elijah heard? You've got to get quiet to hear a whisper. God's not going to always move in neon signs. I wish he did. He doesn't always move that way. It's going to be quiet. It's going to take you some time to listen and learn the voice of God too. But as you listen, as you hear, as you spend time in his word, as you learn to hear what the voice of God sounds like, that whisper is louder and louder and louder. You start to recognize the voice of God. God's not always going to yell at you. In fact, in scripture, he tends to yell at his enemies and he whispers to his friends. You want God to whisper to you. You want to focus on what God's doing in your life? Focus on what he's trying to say to you now. The way, then you'll start to have eyes to see what God is doing around you. Then you'll have the vision of what God is trying to do. And the voice of God will speak to you. It'll awaken you like he did on Sinai, like he did in the upper room, and like he's going to do in the room in which you're going to read your Bible and listen to him. But let's try it. What do you say? Okay? We're going to put everything away. If you have something on your lap, take it away. Uh, if, uh, unless it's coffee and you need to stay awake, that's fine, I guess. Take it away. Let's put yourself in a posture where you can hear or you can even just try and put yourself silent before the Lord. Let's try it. Close your eyes. If, you, if, you, if you're into postures, put your hands out like you're trying to receive something, a gift maybe that God might be trying to give to you. Take a breath. 
Father, we pause to listen, to see what you're doing around us and in us. Holy Spirit, would you speak now? Perhaps some of you, all you can think of right now are lyrics to a song. That's fine. Maybe it's hard to quiet your mind in this short of thing. That's okay. Some of you might be hearing something, and that's great too. This is a practice. Jesus, we thank you that you still speak. You still tell us words. You still give pictures. Your spirit is still active today. There's still tongues. There's still prophecies. We thank you for this. Father, we open ourselves up to this and say, bring it. (laughs) We want to hear you. We want to see you. We don't want to fall for those imposters. We don't wish for things to go back to normal. We wish for new things to be done. Bring your newness. Lord, give us eyes to watch out for imposters. Let us guard the truth of the gospel that in you, you are bringing together people. that all people are equal at the foot of the cross. We thank you for this. We thank you for your voice. May we continue to be in a posture for it. Just stay here. Dylan's going to play some music, some worship music you perhaps got a, a word or something that you'd like to share, I'll be over there. Come tell me. Uh, if you got a picture of something, awesome. Stay here. Allow God to still speak to you.